Hello and welcome to the Locked On Canucks podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. I'm Justin Morissette, and this is your Locked On Canucks for Thursday, November 7th. I know it's a little late in the day, in fact, recording this about half hour before puck drop between the Vancouver Canucks and the Chicago Blackhawks, so I'd imagine uh, that the podcast is coming out uh, after the game has already started, and you're probably listening to it after the game is already over. I will be back tomorrow morning, uh, or or late Thursday night, depending on how you want to look at it, uh, to break that game down in its entirety and tee up uh, tomorrow's action against the Winnipeg Jets as well. Uh, but in the meantime, we'll do some evergreen content, something that can't possibly be dated by the time that you listen to it. And that is another mailbag edition of Locked on Canucks, where I field your questions and hopefully you leave satisfied with my answers, uh, depending on what those answers are, I guess. That puts a lot of pressure on on me to make sure that uh, you leave here happy, but I will try and do my best with that. Of course, as always, if you want to weigh in uh, on these mailbag editions of the program, you can get at me on Twitter, where my personal handle is at Justin Morris. That's one R, one S, M O R I S. And uh, of course, the show's Twitter is at Locked On Canucks. Always put out the call for questions on the podcast feed, and you can uh, get at me there if you want to weigh in on another edition of the uh, the mailbag shows, which will be coming around, I would assume, once every week or, or two throughout the remainder of the season. This is our second edition of the mailbag here today, and our first question comes to us from Yerky21. Uh, Yerky writes, If a supposed intangible quality is the type of thing that gets described as, quote, not showing up in analytics end quote, then on what rational basis can it be said to be helping? At some point, it has to translate to the ice to matter. Uh, well, that's not much of a question because I think you answered it yourself at the end there, Yerky, but I do agree with you uh, because, yes, if if something is, you know, quote-unquote intangible, whether it's a hit or a fight or or anything that happens within the sport uh, that is not necessarily something that is tracked within, uh, you know, analytic measures or, or statistical categories like that, uh, then you would think, yes, it has to help drive play, which means all of the uh, things that we use to measure uh, positive uh, play driving, whether it's, you know, possession numbers or uh, shot share, all that sort of things, would be linked to this event within a game. Now, I thought this was a pretty simple question, honestly, but it turned into a pretty massive spat in the uh, replies as uh, the the fine folks over at Pucks on Net and uh, Pucks on Net Dave and a number of others hopped in to uh, argue this point because there are all sorts of things that cannot be measured within analytics or there are things that are being measured within analytics that we don't even know about because they are uh, proprietary stat categories being measured by teams themselves and uh, we don't have full access to the things that teams are tracking on uh a night-to-night basis, to which I would say that is correct. Uh, you know, I, I think I think both sides can be right here because Yerke's initial point that if something is having a positive impact on a team's play, uh, whether that's a hit or a fight or uh, you know you know some sort of speech in the locker room or whatever, uh, that we can link that to the data that we do have, which tracks uh, positive increases and in, and in the way teams control the play. Absolutely, but. What I think is missing, perhaps, is the overall picture uh, within analytics. You know, we don't we don't have um, 
uh, a narrative, basically, within uh, shot charts, basically. So we can see how shots progress over the course of a game and when shots are taken and so on, etc. But you would have to come up with a way to be able to correlate the data of, you know, the moment that a big hit happens within a game or the moment uh, that a big fight happens within a game. And I'm sure that teams are already measuring that. Snep's mustache chimes in during this debate to say there are probably teams right now that have an advanced stat based around possession change, shots, chances, etc. immediately following a body check. Hell, they probably even have them based around fights too. And I would uh, wager that that is probably correct, honestly, that that is uh, probably the case. We also have uh, Sean at Beardy Canuck 03 weighing in to say stats are results. You use them to show what happened. Why something happened and how something happened can't be properly shown in numbers. Hockey is also a very random sport because of how fast and fluid it is. Stats have a place, but they aren't the whole picture. So if I take both of those comments into account and Yerky's initial question, I would say that you are all right on some level. If we could look at a shot chart and isolate the time within a game that a massive body check happened or, or a time within a game that Elias Pettersson throws his weight around when that's not necessarily his game and it gets his teammates fired up. Maybe there is a correlation between that exact moment and an uptick in shots or an uptick in possession or uh, just the general uh, play of a team uh, after that point, I'm sure that that's possible to track, which means that it's not intangible, which is exactly your key's point. Anything that is going to have an effect on the outcome of a game in such a way is going to have a tangible impact. It's just a matter of being able to track what that moment was. If we go, for example, back to the most recent game that the Canucks played against St. Louis the other night on uh, Tuesday, I believe, uh, you, what we would see is that the team seemed to come alive after Brandon Sutter's shorthanded chance uh, after he deked around Sammy Blay for a shot at Jordan Bennington, at Jordan Bennington rather. Uh, now, does that correlate to that exact moment? Is it because uh, that Brandon Sutter got that chance that the team came alive? Would the team have come alive anyways because it was late in the game and they were pressing to get a goal? It's impossible to say. What I can say is that the crowd came alive because of that Brandon Sutter chance and perhaps the energy of the crowd fed right back into the team and the team's inspired play after that point fed right back into the crowd and the crowd being amped up for the remainder of that game possibly played a role in keeping the team energized to press as much as they did until Quinn Hughes finally got the equalizer to force overtime. Now, what we cannot track as far as, uh, you know, when things happen and how things happen is the role that the crowd plays because that is the number one intangible thing that does not reflect in any sort of statistic that you could not possibly track over the course of a, of a hockey game. How fired up the crowd is, how loud the crowd is, and if their energy is a able to propel the team uh, that they are cheering on, which I do believe it does. I do believe that there is a cyclical relationship between what an audience is giving you and how you perform in front of them. I believe that's true in theater, and I believe it's true in sports as well. So, uh, you know, the, I guess maybe I'm disproving my own point here, and maybe Yerke is wrong all along, that uh, there are certain things that you certainly cannot account for. Or maybe you can. Maybe maybe it's as simple as saying Brandon Sutter made that deke around Sam. Sammy Blay and just the ability to 
make that play and get that chance is what turned the tide, and the crowd maybe had nothing to do with it even. Maybe the team would have gone on to play inspired the rest of the way, uh, whether he made that move or not, whether whether the crowd became fired up or not. I just think the narrative coming out of that game was the crowd took it to another level after that chance, and the team responded by taking it to another level as well. And that's just one game, the most recent game, as I sit here to record this in advance of the Canucks versus the Blackhawks. But uh, that turned into a big firestorm, a massive argument of people arguing about uh, this and that, about analytics and what they do or don't prove. So uh, I'll leave it at that and uh, will not wade into that argument any further. Now, teams don't always get the outcomes that they deserve, but you can treat yourself to the meal that you deserve and have your favorite restaurants come to you with DoorDash. Right now, my listeners can get $5 off their first order of $15 or more when you download the DoorDash app and enter promo code Locked On. All right, the next question comes from 933Alien at Infinite Mile 8, who asks, what kind of record for the rest of November, 12 games, would be reasonable to expect? Now, they are playing a lot of games on the road, of course, these two back-to-backs against Chicago and Winnipeg, a four-game homestand, and then six more on the road to close out the month of November. And as I look at this schedule, let me tell you what I think you can expect from this uh, remainder of the month. It's a 12. Why don't, why don't we go through the games one at a time? Uh, the Chicago Blackhawks are not a very good team. Vancouver should win tonight's game, and you'll know if that's true probably by the time uh, you listen to this. I hate to be uh, incorrect if they happen to be losing it uh, or if they lost it outright. You know, uh, my apologies for getting it wrong, but this is a bad team. This is a team that has gotten to a point where they are so bad that head coach Jeremy Colladin is looking at the Canucks as a measuring stick for his Blackhawks team to find out where they're at uh, in their development curve. So uh, we have come so far through the looking glass that uh, the Blackhawks are now a lowly team looking up at the Canucks as an example of how to do it right. And look, we had to suffer through all kinds of years here in Vancouver where, uh, you know, Chicago stayed good after the Canucks got bad and we just got thumped by those Blackhawks teams time and time again. So the shoe is on the other foot now, which tells me uh, that Vancouver should win this game. So I will chalk that up as win number one of 12. It is a back-to-back situation tomorrow against the Winnipeg Jets. The Canucks jetting off to the peg uh, right after they wrap up in Chicago and, you know, it's a back-to-back, so you might think, well, maybe that's an opportunity for uh, the Jets to uh, beat a team in the Canucks that should hypothetically be better than them, but you have a goaltending duo now in Vancouver that is good enough to overcome, uh, you know, not having the starter in net. So uh, I want to say that Thatcher Demko uh, is good enough to perhaps steal a win, even if the team is tired in front of him. We've seen it happen already this season. Demko has been sublime. So I'm going to say that, uh, yeah, they're going to beat the Winnipeg Jets as well. So we're 2-0 already as we go through 2 of 12. Next is a home game on Sunday afternoon against the New Jersey Devils. Vancouver should have all kinds of reasons to 
to be fired up to win that game after being embarrassed in New Jersey by the Devils. Probably their worst game of the year, at least in terms of results, even if the process might not have been terrible. A landmark game, of course, because it's when Quinn Hughes got bumped up to the number one power play, and we have not looked back ever since. Now, uh, Jack Hughes got the goal in New Jersey against the Canucks. I would imagine that Quinn Hughes is going to want to uh, step up and return the favor in Vancouver against the Devils, even if he would never admit that himself and wants to downplay the rivalry uh, between the two Hughes siblings. I'm going to say Vancouver should win that one as well. That is 3-0 of the 12 games remaining on the schedule. That brings us to this coming Tuesday when the Canucks host the Nashville Predators. The Preds are a very good team. Vancouver ahead of them in the standings right now, but of course the Canucks have had probably an easier schedule than Nashville to this point. Uh, they can't win them all. I'm going to say Nashville will take that one, so we're now 3-1. and one. The next home game on this four-game homestand is against the Dallas Stars next Thursday night. Dallas has been abysmal to start the season. They do not look at all like the team that made the playoffs last year. I'm going to say Canucks should win that one too, which brings us up to four and one through five games. Uh, the, after that, it's a Saturday night game against the Colorado Avalanche at home on the 16th. And that sounds like, at least on paper, when you looked at the schedule to start the season, a game that the Vancouver Canucks absolutely would not win, but the Avalanche have not been good after suffering key injuries to both Gabriel Landeskog and Miko Rantanen. So that's a winnable game for Vancouver once again. I'm going to say that they improved to 5-1 and one through six games here. You've then got another road game, this time against the Dallas Stars in Dallas. Again, Dallas is terrible. 6-1, and one, let's say. Uh, you meet Nashville in Nashville on the 21st, two Thursdays from now. That's probably another game that the Canucks are going to lose. We'll say 6-2. and two. Uh, After that, a road game against the Washington Capitals. It's an early one. It's at 9.30 a.m. Pacific time. Those early starts are always kind of weird, though the Canucks might be fired up to avenge what they feel like is a game that got away from them against the Caps uh, back on home ice not that long ago. So does Vancouver come up with a fight? effort to try and uh, win that one in the end. I'm going to say they'll come up short and walk away with a W there. Six and three. After that, the six-game roadie continues with a Monday night tilt in Philadelphia against the Flyers. The Canucks should win that one. The game against Philly at Rogers Arena earlier in the season was close, and the Flyers are not as bad as they were last season, but they are still a team that Vancouver should be better than in the long run if they want to make the playoffs. So I will say 7-3 and three as we continue the road trip. Uh, it uh, has one game left in it, or two, I guess, uh, before November comes to an end. It continues in Pittsburgh. The Penguins have been injury-plagued, but they always find a way to come up with victories somehow, even when they lose guys. So, uh, you know what? I'm going to say this one could go either way, but I'm feeling like an optimist. So why not? Why not say that the Canucks will take that one? Eight and three now, as we reach our final game of the month of November 
It is against the Edmonton Oilers. The Oilers have found a way to just keep rolling. Even when it seems like the wheels should be falling off, this team still finds a way to win. Uh, can the Canucks win this game? Absolutely they can, and they just might, but I'm going to call it a coin flip and say that uh, you know one of the games that I've already attributed to the Canucks as being a winnable game on this stretch of 12 might turn out to be a loss, and this one might turn out to be a win. Ultimately, let's say 8 and 4 over the course of the rest of November. And that's a much better record than I would have predicted even just three weeks ago. So as much as I said, let's pump the brakes and cool our jets in terms of uh, declaring this team legitimate and for real and all of those things, you know, uh, they are a good team and they should ultimately close out the rest of the 12 games here in the month of November, I would assume with an 8-4 and four record seven and five uh maybe at worst but i'll say eight and four next question comes from jackson mcdonald at fail son mcdonald the managing editor of the canucks army blog and a former guest on this program who asks what is the statute of limitations on making fun of a player's tweets of course jackson in hot water currently for going back through the entire twitter timeline of adam goddett and digging up old bad takes and old bad tweets from goddett people thinking that this is some kind of uh, political agenda that it's a hit job that jackson is going after a guy who's a, a Trump supporter entirely because of his politics. I'm going to uh, say that that is not the case, and not just because I know Jackson and he's a friend of mine and we've talked about this uh, off the air, but just even as an impartial observer, uh, Jackson went back and found these tweets because the tweets are funny. There were a lot of funny tweets from Adam Gaudet and things that are totally up for debate as far as you know criticizing a guy that have nothing to do with politics. Tweets like saying that Sidney Crosby is the biggest pussy in the league. Tweets like saying, you know, he Adam Gaudet got in trouble for tweets against the Canucks when he was drafted. For tweets thinking that the Canucks were, you know, uh, a contemptible team of just awful losers back in 2011. He deleted those ones pretty fast. So why did Jackson take all those screen grabs? Because anytime an old tweet of Adam Gaudet's gets dredged back to light, the guy acts quickly to delete them. Why does he delete them? Because he's embarrassed of them. Why doesn't he just delete all of them if he doesn't want people going back and digging through them? There was nothing malicious about it. It's entirely just comedy. It is funny to read what these teens write on Twitter in public. The same thing happened to Jordan Bennington during the Stanley Cup playoffs last year where, you know, uh, tweets about peeing on backpacks and all these dumb things were dredged up. Why did that happen? Is it because people hate Jordan Bennington? Well, some might, but I think the main reason it happened is because those tweets were funny to read and because they were left up for public consumption. If players don't want guys going back and digging through all their tweets from when they were teenagers, there's a simple way around that. It's called wiping your account, deleting all of your old tweets. It's very simple to do, and if you're a celebrity playing for a professional sports team, there's no excuse not to do it if you don't want something snooping around, uh, someone snooping around through things that you've written in the past. That's all I'm going to say about that. Other than make Adam Goddett again. Uh, uh, next question comes to me from Nick Greenison, who asks, if the Canucks made you change the name of your podcast, what would you change it to? 
Obviously, my options are limited being part of a podcast network, so I have to keep the locked on part. But I guess I would change it to uh, locked on van talk, uh, where uh, I mostly just ignore the Vancouver Canucks entirely so as not to get sued or hit with a cease and desist letter and just talk exclusively about memories of being driven around in my mom's Honda Odyssey as a kid. Next question comes from Mallory at Sports Lesbian, who says, what are your malt liquor power rankings? And honestly, I don't even know what constitutes malt liquor uh, versus uh, beer. Like, is Colt 45, I guess, that's malt liquor? But I also thought Colt 45 was just a strong beer. I'm not really sure. Uh, I'm going to (sighs) say... Uh, I think what she's asking me is how do I rank uh, White Claw, which I've never even drank because it's not even available in Vancouver, but it will be on January 1st, 2020. Yes, the non-compete clause of local uh, hard seltzers in Vancouver expires uh, with that, uh, that agreement that they have with the BCL expires on New Year's Eve. So when the clock hits midnight... Uh, it's entirely possible that bars all over the city will start to bust out the White Claw, and that just might be how you ring in the new year this year, folks. So look forward to that. Uh, The next question comes to me from Quinn Hughes at Riot Survivor, who says, What do you consider the career highlight of Shootless Joe Passmore? Which is a deep cut. That is an in-joke from more than a decade ago. Well done, Kevin. Uh, I appreciate uh, the deep reach on that one uh, because he is referencing a time when I would go over to his uh, basement suite and play the NHL series, uh, possibly for uh, original PlayStation or PS2 at the time. And they were old games. And this was a time where uh, the rosters were not always complete by the time the game had to be published. So there would be holes on teams that would be filled by uh, just entirely made-up players. So you might start a season of NHL back in 2002-2003, and uh, the goalie on the New York Rangers, you know, behind, uh, I guess, Dan Blackburn or whoever was the starter at the time, would be a, a fake player named G Backup. Now, there was also... Uh, <laughs> At the exact same time, a player in the league who I believe was the backup goaltender for the Chicago Blackhawks of that era, his name was Steve Passmore. But I didn't believe that he was real. Uh, I thought that he was one of those players like G Backup who was entirely made up because, of course, you'd have a goalie named Passmore uh, who wants you to shoot less, obviously. So... (laughs) This is was combined with the Shoeless Joe, and we invented a new player named Shootless Joe Passmore, uh, who was a, a goalie, you know, a, <laughs> I guess a traveling, uh, you know, suitcase-style player, a journeyman of the NHL, uh, who never existed, but existed in our minds, and I hope explaining this in-joke is funny to literally anyone other than me and K-Mad, but uh, at the very least... I enjoy being walked down memory lane uh, in this manner. I think the the career highlight of Shootless Joe Passmore is the night that we invented him, Kevin, and I appreciate you bringing him up. Finally, a pair of questions from Micah Prazak, and these are lengthy, so I saved them for the end to close out the show. He says, uh, serious question first. Are you more pleased with the balanced, if slightly less than hoped for, scoring 
or the team defense thus far this season. When the inevitable defensive injuries come, do you think the offense can compensate and keep our team competitive heading for a playoff spot? And if you are heading towards a playoff bubble and you get a pretty good offer for a veteran defenseman, Edler and or Tanev, do you take it even if it hurts the team's playoff chances? Uh, I am very thrilled uh, with the scoring thus far, and I think the defense has been very strong as well. As I said yesterday, uh, I cannot believe that I am saying this, but uh, Tyler Myers has been a better acquisition than Eric Carlson uh, for their teams thus far this season, and that is insane. It is insane as well how good the Myers and Edler pairing has been to this point this year. Um, uh, I, I think they're being overplayed, as I've said many times on the show, but I think overall they are bringing something that uh, I don't think even the most optimistic fans uh, would have thought that they could, especially with Alex Edler at the age that he is right now. So uh, am I more pleased with the scoring or the defense? I thought that this team scoring would be relatively good this year. I am definitely more surprised by how strong the D has been, especially relative to how it's been the last couple of years. So I'll lean D on that. Uh, as for trading a veteran defenseman, if you get an offer, uh, even if it hurts the team's playoff chances, honestly, uh, I'd do it. I, I, I think you're not going to trade Alex Edler, given that you re-upped him to a two-year deal, and I uh, think he might have a no-move or a no-trade or something like that. He's also making a fair amount of money that I don't think a ton of teams would want to take on for his services at this point. But uh, if you get a, an offer for Chris Tanev, I think you should really look at it, especially if at that point of the season the Canucks have suffered some injuries and they have a better idea of what they have depth-wise. They are in a very good position to be able to handle injuries this season. Any injuries to the top four just means imp uh, increased playing time and increased opportunity uh, for that final pairing, the guys down there of Jordy Ben. And uh, Troy Stetcher, I definitely want Troy Stetcher to get more opportunity. I definitely think Troy Stetcher is your Chris Tanev replacement. Uh, he's also, you know, never going to put up big counting stats, so he's not going to cost you a whole heck of a lot to keep, even though there has been rumors lately of the team wanting to keep uh, Tanev and trade Stetcher. Uh, my idea, my um, impression is that the proper move is to do the exact opposite of that. If you do get an offer on Tanev and it's uh, something that's really enticing, something that can help this team, not just next season, but uh, it's several years after that as well, I think you have to really look at that. That and do what's best for the long-term goals of the team because, uh, you know, this is not a team that should be pushing all in this season to make a run at the Cup. This is a team that's uh, window to win is really just opening right now as we speak. And if you can get a piece that will help you win down the road and it costs you uh, Chris Tanev in the here and now, then... That's the price of doing business, and that's what's ultimately going to keep this team competitive for the entirety of uh, the prime years of the young core that you have together. So even if it hurts your playoff chances right now, I would absolutely uh, trade Chris Tanev if you're in a playoff position uh, come the deadline this season. Uh, Michael also has a joke question, which is, Louis Erickson may be in the press box, but his YouTube account is alive and well. There is a hilarious account that is simply entitled Louis Erickson. It is his full name coupled with the Canucks team photo of his unsmiling face. He goes in the comment sections of hockey-related videos, Griffix, the hockey guy, so on, etc., and simply responds from the 
first-person point of view with a hilarious sense of boundless optimism. For example, when Besser wasn't signed yet and Canucks fans were losing their shit, Louis Erickson was on YouTube calming down the fan base. Don't worry, guys. I will fill that scoring void. I got this. Louis Erickson. Now, I choose to believe that this isn't a fake account, but rather the actual Louis monitoring and commenting from the press box. Six million dollars can buy you a lot of data. Either way, I find myself so positively motivated by Louis Erickson and his YouTube account that I consider that maybe he is in the wrong profession, which leads to my question, Justin, if the real Louis Erickson were to retire with his hard-earned money and plentiful career options, what profession would Louis thrive in? Birthday clown, nude model, so on, etc. I feel this specific topic hasn't been addressed on Sports Talk Radio. Um... If Louis were to retire, well, clearly, Micah, you feel that Erickson would be better served as a motivational speaker given how fired up he gets you, and I respect that opinion. Uh, but I'm going to reference uh, the headband that he was wearing uh, down in Mexico during the All-Star break last year and that uh, he should get into, uh, you know, sex education. Uh, Louis should be, um, you know, replacing like a Dr. Ruth type character. He should have like a like a public call-in show that airs maybe on uh, the W channel as well. Uh, you know, it, it, late night radio, late night television where people phone in and uh, present their uh, their sexual issues to Louis Erickson, and he encourages them to be uh, more generous lovers. I will say that. But thank you for letting me know uh, that this Louis Erickson YouTube account exists, because I appreciate uh, that information, and hopefully the listeners do as well. That's our show for today. I will be back to break down the Chicago Blackhawks game, and as I mentioned, tee up the next contest against the Winnipeg Jets tomorrow as well. So come on back around for that. And of course, if you could do me a solid and rate and review the program, wherever you happen to get it in your pod catcher of choice, I would appreciate that as well. Until tomorrow, I have been and will continue to be Justin Morissette. And you're locked in on Locked On Canucks, part of the Locked On Podcast Network.